0: Today is Monday, April 17th. The title for our devotional is Grace and Obedience. Our campaign, you'll remember, is called A La Carte Christianity. We often approach our Christian faith like an a la carte menu. We try to get only what we like out of the faith and none of what we don't. We want the blessing without the cost. We want all of the easy and none of the difficult. In doing so, we make ourselves the focus of authority and not Jesus. Christian life, however, is a wholesale commitment to Jesus as Lord. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the allure of self-righteousness and how religious folks are constantly drawn to self-righteousness because it is something controllable. This week we're going to tackle the other side of that coin, obedience to the commands of Jesus. If our righteousness is not in our own behaviors, what then is the proper place for obedience? I've been asked this question more or less on a few occasions, albeit only from folks north of 50. Apparently, there was a rather large controversy in the evangelical church in the 80s and 90s around this topic. I turned 13 in 2000, so I was more interested in reducing acne and getting girls to like me at this time, both of which I was wildly unsuccessful at in junior high. It was framed as lordship salvation and easy believism. This, of course, wasn't a new conversation. It was simply our generation's iteration of it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, described it as cheap grace. When Luther, in the Reformation, recovered the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, the Catholic theologians predicted it would lead to lawlessness and sinful living. Even in the first century, Paul, in Romans and Galatians, wrestles with the implications of obedience if we are saved solely by the grace of God through faith. After masterfully making his case in the previous chapters that we are saved through faith in the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, Paul writes in Romans 6, verses 1 through 2, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Then in Romans 6, 15, he asks yet again, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. In both cases, he is addressing the same question in different verbiage as we're asking it today. If we're saved by grace through faith, what then is the place of obedience? Should we keep sinning so we get more grace, was the question they were asking in Romans? Or should we sin because, hey, we're no longer under law, but under grace? Once we're set free from our sin, there's no consequence then if we're no longer under law, right? So we can just keep on sinning. In both instances, Paul's asking, what's the place of obedience? If his response is essentially the same in both, that we've died to sin, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Now we are enslaved to righteousness and to Christ. So, if that's not who we are anymore, how can we live like that? How can we go on sinning? We've also been given the Spirit of God to form us in the character of Christ. He accomplishes in us what we could not do ourselves in obedience to the law. Really, you have to read all of Romans one through a, one through eight at least in one sitting to get his logical train of thought and to put the pieces together. In this wonderful book, he spells out the answers so very well. So, I'd encourage you to read. Romans, at least Romans 1 through 8, in one sitting. should take you like 20, 30 minutes. few people today ask the question in these terms. So the application of this theology may be eluding you as you read. So let's hone in on one of the most common examples. Quick word of warning, if you're listening to this and you have kids around, you may want to hit the pause button and put the headphones in, or maybe just listen to it later, or navigate to the devotional page and read it there. Our understanding on this issue usually exists in unclear categories and fuzzy assumptions. These categories and uh, assumptions, they manifest usually when we want to have sex, to put it bluntly. In my experience, this conversation almost always is around sex and sexuality. The thinking goes, I said a prayer, I'm saved by grace through faith, so I'm good with God. And I want to have sex, so why can't I have sex with whomever I want? This is assuming that the individual views sexual activity outside of covenant marriage as disobedience in the first place. We don't have time to go into that right now, but we're just making that assumption. Of course, nobody says it to themselves or others quite like that, but in reality, that's the thinking behind it. In response, purity culture tried to elevate the severity of sexual sin in an effort to scare young people into chastity. Years later, we've learned that this method has left many adults, who are now adults, with bad theology around sexuality and contributed to many young people leaving the church. So that's not the answer, no matter how well-intentioned it was. This further reveals the need for us in the church to clarify our thinking around this issue generally, uh, the relationship between grace and obedience, so that we can not only understand this ourselves, but give answers that are true according to scripture when we are asked these very important questions and when we face these important challenges. Again, this is just one, although the most common I think, of many examples where this theology comes into play. This week we'll seek to untangle the categories and clarify our thinking around this theology that, Lord willing, will help many facets of our discipleship to Christ. For reflection, what has been your experience with this topic? How have you thought through it in the past? Do you feel like you have clarity on the categories of obedience and grace? Try to write out, or say to yourself, or Describe to someone close to you a Christian theology of grace and salvation and the proper place of obedience.